Today's scripture reading is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. This is God's infallible and inerrant word. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Jovin, for reading so well for us this morning. I do see a few new faces. My name is Z. I'm the lead pastor here at One Covenant Church. If I've not met you, would love to get to know you after the service. Please do stay behind uh, to have a conversation. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke right now, and here we are in Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 16. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we see God's help to understand His Word this morning? Father, we thank you so much that this is your Word. We thank you that we get to read and see and understand uh, who Jesus is and what He has done and what He is doing in our lives. We pray that as we open your Word, more than just hearing, uh, we would see Jesus. You would draw us to His side today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as Jovin read uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 16, you'll know that this is an account of Jesus healing someone with leprosy. Now, just to give a point of clarification, the leprosy that is spoken about here is very different from the leprosy that we know today known as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease, the doctors will tell you, actually is not as contagious as you think it is. It's not so easily spread from person to person. The leprosy spoken about here in the Bible is some kind of a contagious skin disease uh, that is very easily spread from person to person. And it is this contagious skin disease that Jesus heals the man of. Now, what's interesting as you look at this text is, although it is a physical healing, the word healing is actually never used in these verses. Instead, three times, what happened to this man is called a cleansing. If you look at verse 12, the man didn't say to Jesus, you can heal me. The man says to Jesus, you can make me clean. In verse 13, Jesus doesn't say to him, be healed, but rather be clean. And then in verse 14, Jesus gives the man instructions to go to the priest with an offering for his cleansing. Not once, not twice, but three times, this physical healing is referred to as a cleansing. So what is this relation between a healing and a cleansing? Well, last year we went through the book of Leviticus and some of you were wondering why in the world we did that. Well, without understanding the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament, a lot of these stories and accounts in the New Testament would make no sense to us. Now, in the book of Leviticus that we went through last year, we learned the concept of clean and unclean. Those who were clean were able to enter into the presence of God and dwell among the community of God's people. Those who were unclean were excluded from the presence of God, excluded from the worship of God, and excluded from among the community of God's people. Now, there were different ways that you could become unclean. But in Leviticus 13 to 15, it tells us that one of the ways that you become unclean is by getting leprosy, is by getting this uh, skin disease 
that is easily transmitted from person to person. And when that happens, Leviticus 13, 46 says this, if someone gets leprosy, he or she is unclean. He or she shall live alone. He or she shall dwell outside the camp. So leprosy makes you unclean, and uncleanness leaves you isolated from the rest of the community of God's people. So friends, having leprosy is a physical disease, is a physical sickness in the life of Israel, but it's so much more than that. The late American theologian R.C. Sproul says, getting leprosy would have affected you socially, emotionally, and personally. It is a life of banishment, of exile. You're removed from your family and from your employment, and it was a truly miserable existence. And friends, we saw in the book of Leviticus that uncleanness is a picture of what sin does to us. Sin separates us from God, and sin separates us from one another. Where there is sin, there is strife. And when there is strife, there is sin. Think along with me, friends, on this topic. If your sin is pride, you think more highly of yourself than you should, you'll be separated from God. Why, friends? Because it takes humility to be able to bow the knee to worship a being that is greater than you. Therefore, if you have the sin of pride, it separates you from God. Now, the sin of pride separates you from other people as well. Because if you have the sin of pride, you will think that you are better than other people. You are superior to other people. You'll always look at other people as lower than you. You'll condescend to them, but you'll never consider them as your peer. You will look at them and treat them in a very transactional manner. I'll relate to you as long as you give me something. But because of my pride, I think I'm better than you, and I will never treat you as a peer. So just considering the sin of pride, we see how it divides us from God, and it divides us from other people as well. Sin is by nature isolating. It takes us away from God, and it takes us away from God's people. And uncleanness in the book of Leviticus shows us very clearly, in a very physical way, the effects of sin. Which means, friends, when Jesus heals this man physically of leprosy, he's doing so much more than just healing this man physically. He's also dealing with his social, emotional, and personal isolation. And friends, that's why this is incredibly relevant to us today. Because not many of us would suffer from this kind of a contagious skin disease. But all of us, to some degree, experience some sense of social, emotional, and personal isolation. We call it shame. Now, Brene Brown, some of you are familiar with her writing. Uh, she's done two decades of research and writing on issues like vulnerability, leadership, human connection. And what she found in those two decades of research, after interviewing thousands of people from different walks of life, was the prevalence of the theme of shame. Everybody experiences some sense of shame. And it doesn't matter what culture you're from or what background, how high status you have or low status you have, everybody experiences some sense of shame. And this is what she says shame is. Shame is the fear that something we've done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Brene Brown says it is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. You failed if you've done something that makes you unworthy of connection. It's painful 
you believe somehow that you're flawed and you're unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. And friends, the shame that we experience, even though we don't know it, is at the root of a lot of our difficulties in relating and connecting with people. We feel unworthy to be loved. And therefore, sometimes we push people away because we fear that connection. Now, Brown says this, shame is universal. She found that even the most privileged and powerful people, and she's met a lot of them, even the most privileged and powerful people have a deeply painful and universal shame memory. Shame is universal. Friends, in Adam and Eve, in the first service, we taught the kids about the first sin of Adam and Eve, eating the forbidden fruit. When they ate the forbidden fruit, what was the first thing they experienced? They experienced shame. Suddenly, they realized they're naked. They're exposed. And what did they try to do? They tried to cover themselves by sewing together fig leaves. Friends, do you know the difference between guilt and shame? You know the difference? The difference is this. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. Guilt is something you've done. Guilt is shame, is your identity. I am something wrong, and therefore I am unworthy of love, unworthy of belonging, and unworthy of connection. And all of us sense that to a degree in our hearts. And we try to make up for it in different ways. Friends, in this account of Jesus healing a man with leprosy, he's showing us that Jesus has come not just to deal with our guilt. Of course, he's come to deal with our guilt, but he's also come to deal with our shame. Jesus has come to forgive us of our sins, but Jesus has also come to restore us, to restore us spiritually, socially, emotionally, and personally. And perhaps today, this morning, as you sit here, you're experiencing that. It's becoming clear to you that that is what you sense. If that's you, friends, then come with me as we look at this passage under three headings. The posture, the power, and the purpose. The posture, the power, and the purpose. Look at verse 12. It says this, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Friends, this is the sorry state of the man. It wasn't just that he had leprosy. The text says he was full of leprosy. Someone said he is in the advanced stages of leprosy. The leprosy covered him from head to toe. He was completely unclean, and there was nothing he could do to clean or heal himself. He was in a desperate state, so desperate that although he was not supposed to be in the presence of other people because he had leprosy, he came and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and begged him to make him clean. That was how desperate he was. He didn't care that the law said, you could not be in the presence of people, you are unclean. He had known and heard enough about Jesus to know that this man could do something for me. And so he came in desperation, full of leprosy, and flung himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, what he says reveals to us that he had no doubt about the ability of Jesus to make him clean and heal him. What he had a doubt about 
was the willingness of Jesus to make him clean. He says, Lord, if you will, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, friends, Jesus is under no obligation to make any of us clean. Jesus is under no obligation to forgive us of any of our sins. We are the ones who sin, and we rightly receive the guilt and shame of that sin. Jesus is under no obligation to make us clean. Yes, he has ability and the power to do so, but we cannot come with G to Jesus with self-entitlement and say, this is your job, Jesus. This is your job to forgive me. This is your job to make me clean. No, friends. Jesus is under no obligation to make any of us clean. And friends, that is a desperate state that all of us are in, even if we don't see it. We're unclean, we're sinful, and yet the Savior has no obligation to make us clean. Now the question is, friends, what do we do when we see ourselves in the desperate state that the man is in? Do we hide it? Do we ignore it? Do we numb it? Or do we cover it over with our religiosity? Do we say to Jesus, actually, I'm not that bad. Look at all the things I know from the Bible. Look at all the things I do for you, Jesus. No, friends. We cannot cover it. We cannot numb it. We cannot ignore it. We cannot explain that we're not so bad because of all the things that I know. No, friends. If we do that, then Jesus can do nothing for us. If we will not come to Jesus in desperation and humility, we will receive nothing from him and we will remain unclean. But friends, if we see the desperate state that we're in and we see that our only hope is in Jesus, not in our religiosity, not in our knowledge, not in our adherence to morality, but in Jesus, and we come before him and we fling ourselves at his feet in desperation and humility, that is where we will meet Jesus in his willingness and compassion. Look at verse 13. It says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, or I am willing, be clean. When we come to Jesus in a posture of desperation and humility, he meets us, friends, with a posture of willingness and compassion. Now notice this, friends. Jesus could have healed and cleansed the man with a word. He didn't have to touch him. All he had to say was, be healed or be clean. And the man would have been clean. But what does Jesus do? The text tells us, verse 13, that he stretched out his hand and touched this man. Now, friends, remember who this man was. He was full of leprosy. He did not have any contact with other humans for a very long time. He probably hadn't experienced human touch in a very long time. Not from his friends, not from his community, 
not even from his family. He was completely isolated because of his leprosy. And as he comes into the presence of Jesus, Jesus doesn't just speak a word to cleanse him and heal him. Jesus stretches out his hand to touch him. Why, friends? Well, we see here not just the power and the willingness of Jesus, but the compassion of Jesus in reaching out to someone who was unclean to touch that person. Here we come with a posture of humility, friends, and desperation. We can be sure that Jesus meets us with a posture of willingness and compassion. My friends, the crowds must have gasped. This man was a leper. No one is supposed to touch him. He's unclean. Everyone who touches him becomes unclean. But this didn't stop Jesus. In his rich compassion, he reaches out and touches the untouchable one. Friends, do you feel like this untouchable one? Do you feel socially, emotionally, personally, perhaps even spiritually isolated? Do you feel unworthy of connection? Well, friends, if that's you, if you come to Jesus in a posture and humility and desperation, he will not just say a word to you, friends. He will reach out his hand and his heart to you in willingness and compassion. Jesus comes, friends, not for self-assured people, but for desperate people and only desperate people. Jesus comes to those who cry out in desperation to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it's only to people like these that Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. So some of you have hidden for far too long. So whether it's for the first time or the millionth time, no longer hide your shame but come into the presence of Jesus and say to him today, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he will say to you, I am willing, be clean. And in so doing, Jesus shows us not just his willingness, his compassion, but also his power to heal and cleanse. Let's look at our second point, the power. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 tells us that the man is told by Jesus after he's cleansed to show himself to the priest, to make an offering for his cleansing as Moses had commanded for a proof to them. Now friends, why in the world does he have to do this? And this is where our study in the book of Leviticus helps us. In Leviticus 13 and 14, an unclean person, when he got better, had to go to the priest to certify that he was clean before he could re-enter the community. Now, here's the thing. The priest had the power to certify whether the person was clean or unclean and readmit him or her into the community of faith. But here's the thing that the priest could not do for the person. The priest did not have the power to actually heal and cleanse the person. 
the priest could certify that the person was clean and healed, but he had no power in and of himself to heal that person. You remember the era of ART kits? Okay, I was still in that era. Uh, you get COVID, you test every day, it's two lines, two lines, two lines, seventh day, eighth day, suddenly only one line. Now, what has the ART kit done for you? The ART kit has certified to you that you are now fit to re-enter society. Some of you don't care anymore, like, don't test anymore, right? But let's just say, like, okay, we're still in those, that era, right? It certifies that you are now fit to re-enter society. Now, that ART kit in and of itself has no power. It cannot heal you of COVID. It cannot remove your leprosy. It cannot clean you. The priest is something like that. He can only certify that you have become clean. Now, friends, so here's the thing. You see, when someone got leprosy in those days, these were the days before antibiotics. There was no medication. There was no hope of taking some kind of medicine to make you well. All they could do is hope that the sickness would resolve itself and then come before the priest and be certified, clean, and able to re-enter the community of God's people. The priest has no power to heal, but Jesus does. Jesus, with a single word and a single touch, says, I am willing, be cleansed, and the leprosy left the man. He was cleansed. Jesus has the power not just to certify, but to heal and to cleanse. And it's Jesus who can send this man back to the priest to show that he has been cleansed according to the law of Moses. You see, friends, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And in his action of healing and cleansing the man with leprosy, he shows he is the only one who has the power to cleanse, to heal, and to fulfill the law. No one else, no human priest has those powers. You and I don't have that power. No person in your life, no matter how significant they are, has the power to truly take away your shame, to cleanse you, and forgive you. They can merely certify that you're cleansed, that you're healed, that you're free of shame. But only Jesus, the power of Jesus, can truly cleanse and heal and cover over our shame. So friends, when we come to Jesus, we come to someone who is not only willing to cleanse, he's compassionate with you and me. And not only is he compassionate with you and me, he has the power to forgive our sins and to cover over our shame. Finally, friends, let's look at the purpose of the cleansing. I want you to notice something in verse 14. Jesus tells the man to tell no one to tell no one other than the priest about his healing. Now, why does Jesus do this? Why does he want to stay private about this healing? Well, we get a hint in verse 15. Because even though Jesus is trying to keep it private, and he tells the, 
that the man not to tell anyone, many people hear about the healing. And what do they do when they hear about the healing? Look at verse 15. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Because they heard of what Jesus was doing, great crowds gathered to hear a titillating message and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now, friends, imagine along with me, okay? Hypothetical situation, okay? Uh, we have a service, we preach, and after the service, we do invite people to come forward to be prayed for. I mean, we do pray for the sick, even among us or those who are struggling with things. We pray. But hypothetically speaking, I know it's very hard for you to imagine. Uh, it's very hard for me to imagine as well because I'm a Presbyterian. Let's just imagine that when we pray for people, all of a sudden, people are getting healed. Every time you come to OCC, you hear a message, you come forward for prayer, we pray, and people are healed. People are healed of all kinds of diseases. Back ache, la, neck ache, la, head ache, la, heart ache, la, whatever ache, pray or healed. Now, what would you do? What would I do if that happened? Hey, got healing here, yeah? And people are hearing about it. And they're thronging here. Let's play it up. Let's play it up. Let's get a bigger auditorium. Now, we are getting a bigger auditorium, but it's not for the sake of healing. Just to say that, okay? Let's get everyone in. And let's make sure that every service huh, got exciting message, good music, and at the end, healing. Let's make sure of that. Let's do that, okay? Let's do that. Jesus doesn't do that, and neither should we. What does Jesus do? Look at verse 16. It says, he withdraws. He withdraws the desolate places, and he prays. He could have drummed it up. All these people coming. Let's do this, man. But what does Jesus do? He withdraws the desolate places, and he prays. Now, why, friends, why does Jesus do this? A couple of reasons, but one of the reasons is this. He's making it clear to us that he hasn't just come to bring you a titillating message and physical healing. There's something deeper than the titillating message and the miraculous healing. He's come to do so much more than just tickle your ears and heal your physical disease as important as that is. So what has Jesus come to do? What is his purpose? Now friends, does it puzzle you that he steps away and prays after this incident? I mean, I've always kind of like, yeah, why? Why, Jesus? You know, you've just done this healing. You've just done this fantastic thing. Why do you need to draw away somewhere to pray? Well, R.C. Sproul, the American theologian, he points out something very interesting. He says, do you notice that every time Jesus heals, something is taken out of him? It costs him something. So, for example, in Luke 6.19, it says, power came out from him to heal. Power came out from him to heal. So every time Jesus ministers, at least in his humanity, he gets tired. It cost him something. Something is taken out of him. And so R.C. Sproul believes that Jesus prayed because he needed to renew and recharge himself. He uses the analogy of a car that you're driving and you're running low on gas, you're running low on petrol, 
and you have to top up the petrol or the gas. And that's what Jesus is doing. Every time he ministers healing, every time he heals someone, something is taken from him. Power comes out from him to heal them all. And therefore, he needs to pray to recharge and renew himself. You see, friends, we tend to think that Jesus, it cost Jesus nothing to heal the person who was unclean or with leprosy. He just came and boom, the person is healed. But that's not true, friends. You see, the book of Leviticus tells us that when an unclean person touches a clean person, the clean person becomes unclean. When a person who is contagious with a skin disease touches a healthy person, the healthy person becomes sick. So in order for Jesus to be able to touch this man and cleanse him and heal him, at least in his humanity, it cost him something. He had to absorb that uncleanness and that sickness into himself. And in exchange for that, give this man the healing and the cleansing that he needs. Now, friends, how will Jesus ultimately do this? Look at verse 14. Remember, Jesus tells the man to go to the priest to make an offering for his cleansing. And once again, friends, our heavy lifting in the book of Leviticus helps us understand what's going on. In Leviticus chapter 14, verse 4 to 7, we're told the details of this offering. When a man comes before the priest, the offering is made for his cleansing to certify that he's clean. What does the priest need to do? Leviticus 14, verse 4 to 7 tells us that he must take two birds. Both of them are alive and both of them are clean birds. He must kill one of them over clean water and allow the blood of that bird to drip into that clean water. Then he must take the live bird and dip that live bird into the blood of the dead bird. The water, the mixture of water and blood, is now taken and sprinkled on the man seven times, and then that man is declared clean. You can now re-enter the community of God's people. This live bird, which has been dipped into the blood of the dead bird, is set free. Now, friends, why such an elaborate ceremony? It's a picture, friends. It's a picture. It's a picture that in order for the person to be cleansed, in order for the bird to go free, another bird must die in its place. And that is what must happen, friends, for this man's shame to be covered and for his cleansing to take place. That is what must happen to you, friend, and to me if we are to have our sins forgiven and our shame covered. Someone else must die in our place in order for that to happen. Could it be, friends, that Jesus' prayer in verse 16 prefigures another prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, just before Jesus goes to the cross, it tells us that he prayed. It says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Friends, what did it cost Jesus to heal this man, to cleanse him, to cover over his shame? Friends, what did it cost Jesus to heal you and to forgive you of your sins and to cover over your shame? It cost him his very life. It cost him the cross. Friends, what did it cost him? Well, friends, Jesus hung on a dirty cross in shame taking all of your shame, all of your uncleanness, and all of your sin into himself. He shed his blood for you, so that dipped in his blood, just like the bird that was set free, you too can be set free. Free of your shame, free of your disgrace, free of your guilt, free of your sin. Friends, look at me for a moment. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are truly free because of the blood of his sacrifice. Free from sin. Free from shame. Free to live in liberty for him. So friends, how? How can we be truly healed of our social, emotional, personal, and spiritual isolation? How, friends, how can we be rid of that intensely painful feeling, a feeling flawed and unworthy of love, belonging, and connection? How can we truly be free of shame? Not by trying harder, friends. Not by trying to cover over your own shame. By putting on a front. We can only be truly free of our shame when we see, friends, that Jesus went all the way to the cross to bring us unworthy and desperate all the way home into the presence of God and into the community of God's people. Friends, if you have Jesus, he is your friend. He is a friend of sinners who has taken away your sins, taken away your shame, and brought you today all the way home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a picture of the compassion and willingness of Jesus to those who are desperate and humble. And we confess to you, Father, that we are not humble. We are not desperate. Oftentimes, we still think there's something we can offer you to cover over our shame and to atone for our own guilt. But thank you, Father, that even in those states, you are patient with us, and you bring us to a place where we see with clarity that we are indeed full of leprosy, desperate and unable to cleanse and heal ourselves. And Father, we thank you that when we are in that state, as we fling ourselves at the mercy of Jesus, we are met with his willingness, his compassion, his power, and his love. Father, I pray that that would happen to many of us this morning.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.